What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked On Dolphins. Today is Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. And today on the show, return of power to the pod. All of your questions, your topics, your hot takes. It's the mailbag episode here on Locked On Dolphins. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked On Dolphins, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at GiraffeNetwork.com, and your host here on Locked On Dolphins. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today is, of course, always a fun time because I don't have to create any content. I rely on you guys to create the content for Power to the Pod. It's a mailbag episode in which all the things that are important to you, that you, the fan base, want to talk about and discuss, well, that's what we do. And uh, that's what we have lined up for today. Have some really interesting questions at our disposal. So I'm looking forward to getting started. Let's go ahead and dive in with our first question and get right into the thick of things here today on Wednesday, July 20th. That esteemed distinction, our first question today, comes from man who can't even play via Apple Podcasts. Uh, man who can't even play from Australia. Good eye, mate. His question is in relation to a subject that, that I have really wrestled with quite extensively, uh, which is what the Dolphins can continue to do at offensive tackle. Hi, Kyle. Good work through this offseason. Do you think that it would be a good move for the Dolphins to add talent on the offensive line or show faith in picks from last year? They didn't look great in the old system. What do you think it would cost for the Dolphins to trade for offensive tackle Andre Dillard of the Philadelphia Eagles? And I I hope we find somebody else for that tackle room that is an established quality player, even if it's a depth player. Could Andre Dillard qualify as that player? Sure. I think that there's a reasonable chance that Andre Dillard could be perceived as somebody with quality depth and starter upside. I guess the issue that I have with Andre Dillard is that this is a player who, coming out of Washington State, played in an air raid type system. And the athleticism, yes, it would be a big fit. But all of the things that Andre Dillard has struggled with to struggle to live up to the expectations of being a first-round offensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, which he was, um, are some of the, the same fundamental technical issues that we've seen Dolphins players struggle with. And yes, having another option gives you a great deal of peace of mind. Could Andre Dillard play potentially right tackle? I don't know. I know he played left tackle in college, and he's been uh, the left tackle for the Eagles because uh, Lane Johnson's been there, and, and you know, Maitala, uh, seventh-round pick who played rugby, overtook him at left tackle, and that's the kind of the experience of Philadelphia with Andre Dillard. What would it cost? You're probably talking about a early day three selection 
for Andre Dillard, just kind of off the top of my head, is that a cost the team's willing to pay? I think you'd have to get into camp and realize, oh, geez, I don't know that this is going to work. If you're going to get into that kind of market and value to trade for a player who has effectively failed to live up to every expectation that they've had in Philadelphia. But that's the right kind of player from an athleticism profile perspective. He is younger. There is more upside. There is more to potentially tap into to get a greater return on investment as compared to some of the players who are still left out on the open market right now, which is a pretty um, lean-looking group, especially if you want somebody with any level of interest and excitement and potential to take significant snaps for you. So Andre Diller, I think, is an interesting name. Uh, I think it's the right thought process for his athleticism fitting into this system. But um, I don't know that Andre Dillard resolves your problems. It just gives you another option with question marks. And if that's, if that's the payoff, is that a price that you want to pay in order to let that happen? Our next question comes, and it's a long one, from Andrew Butts uh, from Apple Podcasts. Kyle, longtime listener, first-time reviewer, obsessed Miami Dolphins fan. Well, the good news is you're in good company, so welcome, and thanks for leaving a review. So I was sitting at work today listening to Power to the Pod and Draft News, which is the NFL Draft podcast that I do with Joe Marino. As a result, I started to daydream about my expectations for the Dolphins this year. I think my outlook on the Dolphins is similar to many Dolphins fans, second in the division, somewhere around 10 wins, and a loss in the wildcard round. With this expectation for the team comes my expectations for Tua Tagovailoa. I'm thinking a stat line that was like Baker Mayfield in 2020 for the Browns. Amongst other playoff QBs I'll mention later, good but not great. I'm hopeful for Tua, but like any reasonable person, I need him to prove it. I would love for Tua to be great and we pay him a ton of money, but I just don't think that's in the cards. So I've got to thinking about what the top teams in the AFC have at quarterback. The top teams, in my opinion, are the Chiefs, Bills, and Ravens. I noticed a similarity between all three teams. They all made a playoff berth that ended in early disappointment and then in turn bailed on their, quote, playoff caliber quarterbacks and traded up to invest in high trades prospects in the first round. These, quote, playoff caliber quarterbacks being Alex Smith, Tyrod Taylor, and Joe Flacco. So I applied this to the Dolphins with Tua being the guy that brings the team to the playoffs but just can't get it done. I've listened to you and Chris and Joe talk on Draft Dudes about how many traits guys there are in the 2023 NFL Draft. I'd be disappointed if the Dolphins were in the scenario and didn't invest in some a high-tools quarterback to give the team some juice, forever stuck at 500. I think the way many people are viewed building a team is in the NFL. You must find that franchise quarterback first, but that's just not the case for the top three teams in the conference. I'm going to stop right here. And touch on that very quickly before I finish your question and, and, and come back and finish the thought in your question. Uh, the, the general viewpoint of oh, pick a quarterback early um, and then build around that quarterback, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of ways that that story can go wrong, right? And what I liked that the Dolphins did was they, took the first year and effectively two draft classes to build up capital and assets and, and spend in free agency a little bit, but they didn't go try to go get a quarterback year one, day one in the light in which, um, 
you look at the Chicago Bears, right? And they were a team whose roster was whittling away and deteriorating and getting worse because they had several years of bad drafts. And instead of saying, hey, we need to hit the reset button, they said, hey, we're trying to save our jobs, so we got to draft a quarterback. And now you have hit the reset button, but the quarterback's already in place. And now you have to get all the other variables right around that player. And because Chicago traded up to go get Justin Fields, they had reduced capital and reduced assets to go make that happen. So I like that Miami spent a year in foundational terms first and then had enough assets to have another foundational year simultaneously while picking the quarterback. But if you only have one pick in the round, I'm usually going to be a proponent of like, hey, do what the Detroit Lions are doing. The Detroit Lions got some bridge quarterback, Jared Goff, and for two years now, they have invested a lot in the NFL draft. They've built youth, but they haven't made that investment in a quarterback yet, and they get the quarterback last. I think that's that, in my personal ideology, is the way I think that you can have the most success rate, is getting the quarterback last. Now, Miami didn't get him last, but they got him simultaneously amidst the second of two foundational year draft classes. And then they had a third draft class to come up behind. Um, but I do generally also agree with your viewpoint on how teams like Baltimore and Buffalo and Kansas City, um, now I think each one of those teams had higher floors than what the Dolphins are at right now. They were pretty consistent. And it was the fa- in the same light in which the Rams had Jared Goff and went to a Super Bowl and contended for several years and then said, hey, we need to be better and traded for a veteran player in Matthew Stafford in the same way that the San Francisco 49ers had Jimmy Garoppolo uh, played in a Super Bowl, won a lot of football games with Jimmy Garoppolo, but couldn't seem to consistently put it together and said, hey, we got to trade three first-round picks to go trade Lance, right? Like you see that a lot with teams that have the, the infrastructure set and established and built up. Um, let me finish your question, but I just thought that in that comment in the midst of this, I think is a very important note for us to make. If there's a quarterback within reach in the next draft that has all the tools, uh, that turns out to be a stud like Mahomes, Josh Allen, or Lamar and dolphins don't use their assets to seize the opportunity. I'm going to be one salty dolphins fan. Would love to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, I think your expectations for the team are pretty close to in line for me. I'm thinking 10 or 11 wins. I think this is a 10 or 11 win football team. Uh, I also have the hope and expectation for Tua Tungvaloa that his end stat line, his end performance, uh, is enough to mirror what Baker Mayfield did in 2020 for the Cleveland Browns, which was pretty darn good. Like, Baker Mayfield, like, everybody turns their nose up at him now. But his stat line within the system that he played in was pretty darn good. But here's where I think this div- I have the divide in your opinion on the 2023 draft versus the 2022 draft or, or the, these other drafts that you mentioned for these other teams. Everything that's been in, put in place for the Dolphins has been this year to build the infrastructure around Tua Tungvaloa, whereas the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens, those teams had long-standing infrastructure and several years of a sample size to say, hey, we've had this thing built. 
and we are on the clock to make the most of this opportunity. And we have hit a plateau. And I think if the Dolphins take the next step, they make the playoffs, and Tuatunga Valoa performs in that fashion, I don't think that qualifies as plateau to spur the team to move. I think if you have another year where you just miss the playoffs and Tua gets hurt and misses a month, I think that conversation becomes much more real. But if Miami progresses and takes a step forward, I don't know that you can necessarily sell it as, hey, we're up against the glass ceiling now. We got to make this move. Now, they'll, they'll have plenty of assets to have flexibility and make some decisions, and I'll be very interested to see what the decision-making process looks like if that becomes what it is. But I think that's the big difference between some of the teams that you mentioned and some of the teams that I mentioned, the Rams, the 49ers, uh, the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Ravens, and where Miami is at right now. is They, they found themselves in a multi-year sample size firmly pressed up against that glass ceiling. And if Miami takes the step that we all think that they will, I don't think that qualifies. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, fights, esports, even golf. They have everything you need. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Our next question comes from Wayne Stain or Wayne Stain. I don't know which it's supposed to be, but Wayne, our next question. Kyle, love the show. Do you think if Tyreek Hill keeps his podcast all season, it could cause controversy in the locker room? You see how the media spins what he has to say now, even when everything he says has been positive. If there's a game where Tua struggles and Hill points out what he could have done what he did wrong on his podcast, who knows what that could do within the team or if two is performing well but keeps Waddle as his number one target, could you see him talking negative because he's not utilized as much as he thinks he should be? I just feel a podcast during the season could be more for listens than the team. I'll be interested to see what the calendar of events, if you will, looks like for Tyreek Hill in season uh, for it needed to be said. Uh, this is kind of a new area and lens for athletes to actively be podcasting amidst their seasons. Uh, I know Draymond Green in the NF or the NBA has one and um you know they they went all the way to the championship and won the championship. Uh but I think there 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 is that fine line that has to be walked. And I'm sure the Dolphins, as any NFL franchise would be, are like, man, I, I this this from a PR perspective, it does absolutely have the ability to create more fires for you to have to handle and put out. Now, I think context is very important. And I think players understand that a lot of times the context gets lost in the media. If you just take the headline and you don't acknowledge the things that are also said in the midst of that conversation. 
So I think you could see, out of context, headlines for the Dolphins in season if Tyreek Hill is doing his his podcast. But I think the players will be able to to handle and manufacture that much better than we will. Would it get old? I'm sure it would. Would it be a distraction within the team that probably invests some of your time uh, into talking about what was said on the podcast and why it was taken out of context um, that could be used on building a game plan and trying to win on a weekly basis? Yes. So I think it's, I don't think it has the potential to serve as a toxic divide between the locker room. But I do think if it does continue into the offseason and Tyreek continues to be authentic in the ways that he is and the season goes to a certain script that does not include the Dolphins having a lot of early success and Tyreek Hill touching the ball a ton, I do think what you run the risk of is having to invest time during the week to just touch base on that kind of stuff. But, you know, Tyreek was also, he had his opinions and he expressed this in week or week one of his podcast, episode one, he had his opinions on his usage last year, and it was never public. So um, I, I'd like to think that, you know, regardless of what decision Tyreek Hill comes to on how to proceed with the podcast, he's going to have the perspective necessary to um, not put himself and his teammates in that position where they have to invest their times it, during the season counterproductive. The next thing that I have that I want to touch on is from Fanatic1972. And there's no question here, but um, I think this is uh, such a, an awesome awesome comment to have been left and, and want to connect Fanatic with you. Listen to your episode from last Wednesday. Thanks so much for what you're doing for Dolphins Challenge Cancer. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. I participated the last 11 years and will continue to do so as long as I'm breathing. Last year was the most significant because I lost my mom to this horrible disease on November 10th, 2021. She continues to inspire me to do everything in my power to raise as much awareness and funds as possible for this extraordinary event. Thanks again for what you're doing. You really are awesome. One team, one fight, hashtag and cancer. Uh, fanatic, first and foremost, Sending my love to you and your family and condolences for uh, the loss of your mother this past year. Um, I'm at that point in my life where my parents are getting, getting into that last third chapter of their lives, right? And th that aging process, and you, you kind of... You go a couple months without seeing my dad who lives a couple hours away and then you see him and you get together and the gray hairs are definitely a little bit more promising. You tease him for the Friar Tuck uh, haircut that, that just keeps progressing for him. But then as you reflect and, and, and think about uh, the, the time that we have together um, and our own, all of our mortality, uh, it, it's very humbling. And you know you have my support in, in whatever way. Um, as you look to continue to build what you're doing for Dolphins Challenge Cancer as a, a part of honoring your mother. Uh, what we are doing for Dolphins Challenge Cancer here is I'm going to be doing uh, a Miami Dolphins fan fantasy football league 
And I'd like to do some raffling off of entry fees where your entry fee is a donation to Dolphins Challenge Cancer. Uh, we did it last year. We had some other Dolphins personalities on media uh, that hopped in and were involved in the space. Uh, and we raised um, $1,200, I believe, for Dolphins Challenge Cancer last year in some missions uh, that were made. So I'm very much looking forward to doing that again this year. Uh, we're going to try and up the ante a little bit. Um, but keep an eye out for that. That will come out on social media, uh, locked on fins. Uh, I'll probably have some stuff on the YouTube channel committed to that, and then also my personal account, uh, Grinding the Tape. So there will be a couple different places on social media that you could stay uh, up to date on that, uh, and we will obviously also be talking about it here on Locked on Dolphins as those opportunities arise. Chad. Kyle, never been to a game at Hard Rock before. Live out of state about seven hours away, but we'll be attending the Patriots, Bills, and Steelers home games this year. Any advice for a first-time attendee? Bars, tailgates, must-see attractions, etc. Uh, I can tell you from my perspective, I am, I am an out-of-stater as well. My first Dolphins home game, I've been to Dolphins games before, but my first Dolphins home game at the Rock was in 2019. So this is still a new experience for me so i'm gonna use this opportunity to ask the fan base to expand upon our mutual um game week experience if you will i have made a couple of great friends uh that i come down and i do tailgates with when i come down for games hat tip to andy and chef greg um, no, they're the guys that I've kind of found myself consistently running into, and their hospitality is amazing. Um, but there's there's has been uh, like a dozen tailgates and, and friends who are Dolphins fans um, who have become my friends and have, have reached out and had, had me stop by their tailgates. So the hospitality down there is excellent. Don't let anybody tell you the narrative that exists about the Dolphins fan base. Um, look at you, Shaq Lawson. Um, these fans care and they'll show up. So, um, the, and my first home game was actually 2020. I'm not a math guy. So excuse me on that front. Um, but I want to hear from you, all the listeners of the show, things that are around in Miami gardens, uh, that you got to do when you're in town and, we will be spotlighting them, and I might even be taking the opportunity to do one of them each day that I am in town uh, for training camp in August. So that might be some fun content for us, and I'll spotlight some of those answers. So, Chad, just keep an eye out for that content as it comes down the stretch. Um, Stephen Ross uh, with an Orlando Brown Jr. question. Any chance... The Dolphins throw their hand in the ring for Orlando Brown Jr. this offseason or next. It doesn't make sense. Probably have the trade capital uh, to make it happen. Here's here's where I'm at with Orlando Brown Jr. Um, I think Orlando Brown Jr. is a very good player, but I think he is more of a scheme-specific player, and I don't necessarily know that he has the functional athleticism or athletic profile to really move the needle for the Dolphins in the way that you would want to for somebody who is asking for $25 million plus per season to play tackle. So obviously he was originally a right tackle. 
Now he's playing left tackle. He wants left tackle money. I don't know if the money is more important than playing blindside tackle for his quarterback and having a left-handed quarterback. I like. I don't know where that falls on the spectrum. All I know is Orlando Brown Jr. wants $25 million per season to play offensive tackle in the NFL. And while he's a good player, I definitely don't think he's a good scheme fit in the Shanahan-style wide zone system. And I would probably be very much out on that idea personally. Uh, 808 Fins fans, power to the five question. If you're a defensive coordinator facing the Miami offense, how are you going to defend Miami? And based on your game plan, what counters would you expect from Mike McDaniel in game? This is a full show concept. I am not, not going to try and tuck it in on just a couple minutes here on the tail end. So, <laughs> um, but this is a great question. And this is a really fun, like schematic X's and O's question that just it becomes me going down the rabbit hole and, and you know, hopefully not making everybody's head spin. Uh, we will be touching on this, but we're we're not going to touch on it here and now. Uh, but prob- possibly Friday. Like, we'll do it this week. You have my word. Two more questions, including one from Nance from Shanghai, China. Dude, all the places that I have received a R- or, or an RSVP or a submission... This might be the coolest one. Shanghai. Appreciate you listening to Locked On Dolphins. Your great insight into the team and awesome content has made my hectic daily commute a lot more manageable. I have a question about last season's defense. In your opinion, what was the catalyst for the midseason improvement? More importantly, how does the coaching staff ensure the defense starts the season strong and not repeat last year? Starting to get cautiously optimistic about this upcoming season, but know that strong defense is key to success. And you're absolutely right. So, there's, there's always going to be this he said, she said, nonstop debate in regards to why it happened. And I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to why it happened, but I do know what happened. The Dolphins got more aggressive. The Dolphins stopped trying to play conservative, off, more organic rush, and play more players in coverage. That's not the DNA that you built the roster for. Now, in certain down and distance in game situations, yes, it's going to call for you to have a different strategy. But you constructed the team with a strong backbone in the secondary to play disruptive on the outside, give yourself enough time, and manufacture the games up front to win with your pass rush by scheme. And the Dolphins did not play that way in the first half of the season. I don't know if it's because they were transitioning Javon Holland in a new free safety. I don't know if it's because Kyle Van Noy wasn't in the front. I don't know if it's because it was Josh Boyer calling the plays or Brian Flores calling the plays or Gerald Alexander calling the plays. I don't know why, but I know what. So the key is you you got to play aggressive you got to own the identity of who you were as a team. And don't try to half-see change it one year to the next. This is who you are. Play that way. Call the plays that way. Set the tone. Set the pace of play on defense. And they're perfectly capable of doing it. Because that you brought everybody back. 
the nice thing, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have to be selective as far as the stunts, and you're going to have to get a feel for how they're calling their protections. Are they sliding? Are they gapping? Are they zoning? Like, how are they choosing to set their landmarks and pass protection? And once you get that, you've got your menu of stunts and slants and games that can be most effective against that. But if you're going to be a cover one man team predominantly in the back end, that's just have better players outside than the teams that you're facing. That is mano y mano. And I don't care what the play call is. Cover one is cover one, right? Man to man is man to man. That's why you spent the dollars in these guys in the secondary. So you just gotta you gotta make sure you call the plays like that from the jump. Fandle. Our last question. Living in the Pacific Northwest, I was originally dawned to this podcast when Travis Wingfield was the host. What up? Go, Trav. What's going on? Uh, knowing that another loyal Dolphins fan was near me gave me comfort. This year marks 50 years of Dolphins loyalty for myself. Thanks for continuing on with the excellent material after Travis moved on. My scenario for you. You are given $5,200 to spend on the following wagers. Oh, this is fun. So $5,200 to spend on the following wagers. First to purchase, then the remaining will be wagers. $200 to spend on a bottle of top-shelf bourbon. What is it? I think this this answer for me is probably the Masters Collection of Woodford Reserve. And I think that's right at $200. Uh, that for me would be a very, very high on the, the list. Uh, there's some single barrel ones that I think would, would warrant some attention, but I'm going to go with the Woodford Master uh, as my choice for that $200 that you've said. So now I have $5,000 to bet on waivers. And you, you gave me five, six, not a math guy. So I get, to, I get to pick which I'm taking out of the six. Okay. Number one, $1,000 wager over or under. Jalen Phillips has 10 and a half sacks. I will say under based on the nature of the Dolphins' front and them being you know, very pressure schemed pressure-oriented and the presence of Emmanuel Agba and the presence of Christian Wilkins and the presence of these backers and Channing Tindall and Jerome Baker. I think there's enough that you're, you're not going to have a guy that commands such an overwhelming share of what I'm expecting to be 40 to 45 sacks again this season. I just think there's too many... For one guy to consistently be finishing at that rate of high rate of eclipse. So I'll take under on 10.5. Number two, $1,000 wager. Over, under. Four Dolphins wins within the first seven games. Man, you didn't even give me a half, so it's five or three. I'm going to take the over because I, I don't think they go three and four, right? You know, maybe they're four and three, maybe they're five and two. Uh, so I'll go over and hope for the push if I don't hit. Uh, but I, I don't think you're going to get three wins in the first seven games. $1,000 over under. Channing Tindall plays 400 snaps. I'm taking over if you let me get special team snaps. And I know nobody's like, oh, you just drafted a guy in the third round and play special teams. I get it. It's not super sexy. But if you include teams, I think T Channing Tindall gets there. If you ask me if he got 400 defensive snaps... I still am taking over. I still think he's probably going to come in and play 
uh, 20 to 25 snaps game right off the jump and probably take a larger snap share once we hit the second half of the season. $1,000 wager over or under Hunter Long has 20 receptions this year. Man, this is this is the hardest one you've given me. I th- think I think I'm gonna take the under, but this one is very close. Um, I just think with the backs involved, with the presence of Gusecki, with what you're paying him, with the three receivers that you have that are well established. I think betting on more than 20 is probably too aggressive, uh, but I think he's going to be right there from that 16 to 25 receptions, and it's just he might have a couple that are really high impact based on game situation and game script and the competence that he has to be able to do it. And your last one, $1,000. Dolphins win a playoff game, yes or no? I am obviously, without even going to be reasonable, or, or objective about it, I'm going to say yes. Put the $1,000. If you're giving me $1,000 to play with, I'm going to put it down and say, yeah, they win a playoff game. And I'm not going to think twice about it. And if I lose it, hey, I get a chance to make that money back. But I'm trying, I'm going to do everything I can to manifest that reality for us as a fan base. So that does it for today's episode of Locked on Dolphins. I hope you guys do enjoy your day. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, I am traveling Uh, I'm out in Kansas City. We're scoping some stuff for the 2023 NFL Draft, which will be here in Kansas City uh, and and out here with the Draft Network scoping for the draft, meeting with some people. Uh, Our our team is out here working on uh, updates to our mock draft simulator. So that's something that we're getting updates on here as well while we're out here. So lots of great stuff, but I, I am traveling. I'm in Kansas City now. I will be coming home tomorrow morning. So tomorrow's podcast might be a little later than you're usually accustomed to getting it, but trust me, your team, every day, we don't just say it, we live it. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for listening, and have a great day. I'll talk with you all again tomorrow.